Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. Last time on HI-101, we left off with Hannibal Barca handing the Romans some of their most decisive military defeats ever. Hannibal wasn't finished either, a worse one was on the way. So with Carthage safe across the Mediterranean and an enemy force rampaging through Italy, how did the Romans manage to turn the tide? Let's begin. Here on HI-101 with Kevin Miller. Hello. And last time we talked about the entire First Punic War and the start of the second one. Yes. First one went very well for the Romans. Very well. They had a good little outing. They had ship bridges. Made a lot of money in the process. Killed a bunch of folks. Second one, not so good so far. Very different. Yeah, they're having a bit of trouble. Hannibal, turns out, is a very, very good commander, and he's kind of hitting them where it counts. Yeah, yeah, the national pride, mostly. <laughs> that that and the farms of Italy. <laughs> and all their people. <laughs> I'm honestly not sure which of those things irked the Romans more. <laughs> they truly hated Hannibal. And, and I suppose you could probably say that about every single enemy the Romans ever had. But, you know, this is the first time they're losing in any significant way. And it's the first time that they're losing on home soil. Yeah. And, and to tactics that make it seem very personal. <laughs> yeah. He's making fools of them. <laughs> yeah. Romans hate being made fools of. <laughs> they beat their chests and scream into the air. Hannibal ha- has shown this unique um, ability to read situations very astutely and use everything at his disposal to, uh, embarrass the Romans like just fully on the battlefield and it's 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 worked so so well for him (laughs) um he's had to be creative because he's lost all of his siege engines Mm -hmm. and can't really do the traditional pitch siege against uh against the city of Rome thing that he probably would have done if he had the opportunity but the amount that he's been able to make do without all of that yeah has, has been really remarkable it's tied up the Romans in in a really interesting way because originally they were planning to sail across the Mediterranean, take the battle to Carthage, end it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. That's not something you can do with a force of 60,000 plus Carthaginians rampaging around the Italian countryside. Right. You just can't leave. You have to stay. Mm-hmm. If you leave, you're risking losing your own capital city. It's just not possible. Meanwhile, there are some limited Roman troops trying to take Iberia back which is the source of Carthaginian wealth. And Mm -hmm. maybe that might help things, but they're cut off from Rome. 
they don't really have, uh, you know, the Carthaginian Navy had taken some hits, but they were still very capable of tying up the Roman Navy in Iberia. Mm -hmm. That wasn't really their their uh, mm-hmm. their objective to come back home. Like the, the Romans are really kind of back on their heels at this point. Right. And we've just come off of a six month period where the Romans basically did nothing of, of major consequence militarily under the dictator Fabian. I would say rightfully recognize the fact that continuing to throw new soldiers at Hannibal was not really helping the situation. To throw meat into this blender. <laughs> yeah, it was getting rough out there. They were consistently killing like half the forces that were being sent. Literally half. Mm. Casualties are not normally that high. No. Um, in any battle, uh, modern or ancient. No. And especially in ancient battles, casualties tended to be quite low, all things considered. Once a line is broken, that's the battle. Mm-hmm. It's over. You let them go. Now, Hannibal needs to be a little bit brutal because he's in a survival situation in, yeah. in you know, behind enemy lines. Yeah, the, the more enemy soldiers he can kill, the less he has to kill later. Yeah, pretty much. But at the same time, he's absolutely breaking convention in doing all of this. Yeah. Let me ask you, yeah. um, at no point during this campaign could could Hannibal have not built more siege engines with materials at hand or would that have required like expertise or that he didn't have available uh, not only expertise but time and materials mm-hmm. it's not easy to build something like uh you know a full battering ram um the sort of catapults that were common at the time even even stuff like a like you know very long ladders they're they're difficult to build they take some time and Hannibal had to keep his forces mobile because the longer he kept them in one spot, the more risk he was at of being surrounded by Roman forces. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that he was really in danger of was was being hit by multiple Roman forces at the same time. And and that makes sense. I'm just wondering in this sort of six month period where Fabian's like, hey, we're going to go home and lock the doors. Right. Is he not able to sort of recoup a little bit? Well, keep, well. In, keep in mind that that even during that that period, Roman skirmishers are still engaging That's right. uh, on a fairly frequent uh, basis. I mean, Fabian recognized that just being left to his own devices, yeah. you know, in that six month period, absolutely. He could probably make some stuff happen, which is why they didn't really give them the opportunity to sit by and uh, build in that fashion. Yeah, just enough uh, small precision strikes to mm-hmm. keep him on his toes. Yeah, exactly. I gotcha. OK. Um that ends, you know, I, I don't mean to make Italy seem like a barren wasteland, but it's also not the most... It's not known for its forests. Yeah, it's it's not the most um, uh, forested uh, country out there. The the wood isn't quite what it would be, say, in Gaul or something like that. Okay. Um, materials and uh, more specifically the tools needed to shape those materials, not the easiest thing to come by. Now... There are kind of collaborators that are willing to help them out with a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they do get some, you know, small ballistas and stuff like that. Oh, okay. that you know, they're, they're going to help. Uh, they're going to help out in, in battles later on. But like, it's not. It can't be the focal point of your attack. <laughs> yeah. You're not talking about the sort of, you know, dragged by six horses style siege engines uh, that <laughs> yeah, might have actually been effective against Rome's walls in this period. It makes sense. Mm. So. We talked uh, at the very end of the last one about the election of, of Vero and Paulus uh, to consuls who basically ran on the campaign of we're going to attack Hannibal. 
Enough <laughs> of this sitting around. Not like this other guy. Not like this other guy. Not fiddly farting around. We're gonna we're gonna take the battle to him like real Romans. Remember how it used to be <laughs> six months ago, <laughs> losing all those battles to Carnage. Time to bring that back again. Those good old days. Yeah, make Rome great again. The Senate authorized the largest army in Roman history to be built against okay. uh, against Hannibal, and a big part of this is that uh, Hannibal had recently seized uh, a fairly large supply depot. Uh, at a place called Cannae. Mm -hmm. And this was a big deal for Rome. It was cutting off like critical food supplies to Rome. This was about as close to a siege as you can get without actually like surrounding the walls. You're basically attacking their supply lines rather than uh, attacking the city city directly. Mm -hmm. The Senate was worried about this. The people were frustrated that battle hadn't happened and that they hadn't won in, in some time. Um, so the army that gets built is 16 legions, and that's uh, as much as 86,000 men. Now, keep in mind any of these estimates that we're making on, like, number of soldiers, yeah. these numbers fluctuate wildly depending on the sources. Uh, 86,000 is coming from a, a Roman historian called Livy, but he's writing about this much, much later, like over a century later. Okay. That being said, the, the the army is huge. Like, there's no there's no doubt about that. Like, lower end numbers are more like sixty thousand ish. Oh, okay, it's still big. Like, it's very very big. There's still around fifty thousand uh, Carthaginian troops in and around this time. The general rule of thumb is that if you have like a three to one advantage, mm-hmm. you can be you can be pretty sure of winning a battle. Right. Anything less than that, it gets pretty uncertain. Mm-hmm. If you have straight numbers, that comes down to like things like discipline and skill and that hot breakfast like we talked about last time right, yeah it gets pretty mercurial in terms of like who wins battles you also really start seeing the uh character of command shining through at that point i see yeah especially in one of these ancient battles where the the goal of it again is to push through the enemy lines to either flank or route the Romans are ready to fight that battle with the Carthaginians. They a straight battle. <laughs> they're ready to do it. They've got this in the bag. Mm-hmm. And we we talked a little bit last time about sort of how the the Roman army in general would fight battles like this. They've got a pretty good system down. It's not like they haven't learned anything from those previous lost battles. They're much more careful this time about kind of forcing the uh the circumstances around the battle into that traditional like on a big field make sure all the troops are there and no one's lying in wait uh. this is going to be a straight battle or as close to a straight battle as they can convince hannibal to engage them in yeah, try not to get so angry that you chase yourself into a trap and fifteen thousand people die <laughs> yeah you know little mistakes like that <laughs> oops got angry Cannae is one of the most studied battles in military history okay it is a remarkable thing. Generally on HI101, I don't love dwelling on things like the, like, you know, the specifics of like individual battles. Because this is a famous one. <laughs> it gets very, very dry very quickly. And yeah. it really only appeals to a, a small subset of history fans. So, you know, it, generally it's not worth getting into. I kind of stick with, you know, they won or they lost or, you know, this one thing happened. Your eyes are so excited right now. <laughs> it's it's amazing that they managed that the Carthaginians managed to pull off what they pull off. And it's amazing that the Romans fell for in the way that they did. Oh, great. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> As we talked about last time, generally you want to punch through the middle mm-hmm. or flank them around the edges. Yep. Because of that, normally what you want to do 
is put your best, strongest, most experienced troops in the middle of your line Mm -hmm. and less experienced troops go more towards the outside. Mm -hmm. They're not playing a key role in terms of like protecting the line from being broken through and they're being protected from being flanked by your cavalry. Got it. Yep. Hannibal took his most experienced troops and he put them on the ends. Okay. And he took his least experienced troops and he put them in the middle. Okay. This is the opposite of what we normally try for. All right. And then he himself with his commanders stood in the middle with these least experienced troops. Interesting. Okay. The Romans saw him there and assumed that it was the normal. The rules. (laughs) Yeah. The normal rules. Uh And they massed their forces uh, bunched in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, They had more people, but they had a deeper line. A deeper line means that you can take more hits, more casualties before your line is broken through. Right, right. So their line was basically the same length as the the Carthaginian line. Mm -hmm. Just deeper. Deeper. And when they clashed, it was the normal walk up and start banging shields and stabbing at each other. (laughs) And then things get interesting. (laughs) I imagine them getting interesting in a few different places. In all the places, actually. <laughs> okay. In every place. The uh, the battle starts off as usual. The line clashes. The cavalry skirmishes. Mm-hmm. Business um, as usual. Business as usual. And the much stronger uh, Roman center mm-hmm. is doing very well against the fairly inexperienced. Um, uh, it, it's mainly mercenaries in the middle and fairly new mercenaries in the middle. Okay. The more experienced... Um, Numidian and Iberian troops are the ones that are at, at the outside. It's these mm-hmm. new Gallic and Celtic uh, warriors that are closer okay. to the middle. Yep. Um, they tend to be wilder fighters. They're mm-hmm. not as used to fighting in, in the line. The Romans start winning in the middle. Things are going great. Things are going great. However, their less experienced troops at the outsides aren't doing as well. Getting pummeled. <laughs> Hannibal orders an ordered retreat in the middle. So he asks his, his middle troops to start drawing back okay and as they draw back the line turns into a bit more of a curve yeah and the romans who are very excited that they're finally winning a battle against mm-hmm. hannibal push into that curve start pushing into that curve okay <laughs> meanwhile his flanks I mean, start advancing <laughs> and slowly this line turns into a semicircle yep a crescent <laughs> a crescent that envelops the roman troops completely uh-huh. and as the middle pushes forward and don't realize what's happening at the outside yeah, and as the uh um as the carthaginian cavalry manages to beat the roman cavalry mm-hmm. uh they manage to entirely encircle fold in on it. the roman army <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> as many as eighty-six-thousand troops encircled by these carthaginians oh my god they don't let them out nope <laughs> oh my god the stories from after the battle because let's face it at that point the battle is over yeah um there are people in the middle of all this who don't realize for some time that it's over uh-huh. but it's over and then they go to retreat like you do like you do the, the stories are horrific and you can probably <laughs> fill in most of the gaps but it is a it is a slaughtering field mm-hmm there's stories of, of Carthaginians basically holding spears and letting the people in the middle push other Roman troops out onto, onto the them. spears. Yeah. Um, it's it's awful. There's about 14,000 or so Roman troops who managed to break out and run away. Wow. So we're, we're talking likely over 70,000 casualties. The estimates, at least if you go by Livy, are around 75,000 Romans killed. Ooh. 
Vero and Paulus are both killed in the action. Yeah. This is such a wow. big force that both of the consuls are leading it. Oh my god. Um, the way they wrangle that uh-huh. in in a like a standard like very confusingly Roman fashion is that they alternate days of like high command of this entire army. And so, like, there's a lot of looking into, like, oh, who was commanding that day? Like, we're not actually entirely sure who was commanding that day, who um, wanted to attack on which days. There was actually some, like, delay in the battle because each of them wanted to be the commander on the day that the battle took place. Right. Assuming there would be a lot of glory in it. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. <laughs> this battle is so devastating to the Romans in so many ways. Remember, their army isn't made up of levied peasants. (laughs) It is made up of the best and brightest sons of nobles who are looking to begin their political and military career. So many people lost so much family on this day. And I don't mean to make a bigger deal of it because they're noble. I mean to make a bigger deal of it because this is the ruling class of the society and there are a lot of people who are poised to become the next rulers of rome who die there was a special gold ring that signified that you were of a high like the the highest echelon of noble rank Mm -hmm. in roman society okay hannibal sent 200 gold rings back to carthage (laughs) oh my god so their their government is just gone. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's 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 like taking the entire parliament and every single child of a parliament member uh, gone now. Oof. But still more than that because this is a stratus, yeah. stratified and the entire army. <laughs> yeah, it, well it's a it's a stratified uh, society though where mm-hmm. that's not replaceable in the same way. No. They're just gone. All of these very important families lines mm-hmm. and at Cannae are gone they're done this is this is a this is a catastrophic moment in roman society oh yes and they don't really know how to respond to this like (laughs) no there was no contingency for the entire nobility being destroyed there were about six thousand carthaginian casualties (laughs) which i mean yeah that sucks but (laughs) oh my god the perspective on that one is yeah was that 10 to 1 (laughs) 11 to 1 12 to 1 yeah yeah it's it's definitely more than 10 um yikes yikes yes yikes there are going to be there are going to be societal and military reforms that are a direct consequence of this battle of the war in general but like specifically of this battle you can't put that much of your noble class on the line like that never again you you just can't hashtag never again it's 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 so destabilizing for them Back home, the reactions are, I mean, people don't know what to do to a point that there are human sacrifices to gods, mm-hmm. like asking them to turn this around to save them from the Carthaginians. Wow. This is the last known, uh, or I've seen some accounts that say that this is the last known uh, instances of human sacrifice in Roman society, other than like prisoners of war executed, like in the name of Mars kind uh, of thing, yeah. where it's more pageantry than it is necessarily uh, religious devotion. <laughs> yeah. Slash desperation. Yeah. I saw one account of a particularly large baby who was drowned, which was just like a very weird thing to come across. I, I Not just any baby. Yeah. It was a particularly large one. <laughs> I mean, I sh- it's noteworthy. <laughs> it was just such a weird note. Like, 
Sorry. Everybody, look at this giant baby. Oh my god, someone better write this down. <laughs> you guys, I bet the gods would love this baby. This sweet, sweet baby. Look at him, he's huge. <laughs> Worthy of Jupiter himself. <laughs> oh. What a tragedy. <laughs> Sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the the encirclement of a of a of, of an enemy force like this is something that military commanders have striven for ever since, and like very few people actually managed to pull oh, it off. Oh, sure. Not never, but like this is the kind of thing where this is the goal. <laughs> yeah, you have like Napoleon studying mm -hmm. Hannibal. You have Eisenhower studying Hannibal. Like it's it's this is what everyone as uh, aspires to. It's complete annihilation Hannibal has never looked stronger as as a as a commander oh, of course not as a consequence of this battle as many as 40 percent of Rome's allies abandon Rome and uh leave them for dead <laughs> well supplicate themselves to Carthage basically yeah. going like well I can see which way the wind's blowing <laughs> right hard to blame them at this point Writing's on the wall like that's that's it's a significant percentage of the Roman population overall. Not even just like considering like you know men of fighting age and all that stuff. It's it's it's, it's a, a lot huge, of people. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a huge tragedy. I, I know I keep coming back you know, to it, but in like, the most man. recent of a lot of tragedies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Philip V of Macedon decides to take this opportunity uh, to turn on Rome and opens up a new front in the east. Okay. Um, Macedon is still a pretty powerful nation at this point in time. Uh, when you think of Alexander the Great, mm -hmm. Macedonian, his his whole rule was kind of between like 330 and 320 BCE. Oh, okay. So this is within the last hundred years. They haven't exactly declined that much. Um, in fact, Macedon's decline is more tied to the four or so wars that start with this one against mm -hmm. Rome. Uh, they're still very powerful. Rome does not need them as an enemy. No. Syracuse also has a new king. It's no longer Hiero II, who kind of got along with Rome, sort of-ish. Mm -hmm. It after, was complicated. After all that. <laughs> yep. Um, the new king, Hieronymus, had no love for Rome. And again, could see where the wind was blowing. Yeah. Uh, very directly allied himself with, um, uh, with the Carthaginians. At this point, Carthage offers Rome peace. Rome says no. Well. And this is that Roman spirit coming through again where it's kind of like, you idiots, like, just take it. You're beaten. Oh, it is a good day to die. <laughs> Romans don't lose wars. No. Romans win wars or Romans are destroyed. Or are obliterated, yeah. Those 14,000 men who escaped Cannae, mm -hmm. they are pariahs. They are outcasts. Oh. They're not allowed to come home. They should have died there sooner than escape that is like that is not that is not like a a thing that's whispered to each other in the streets that is state policy oh wow they are exiled to um sicily to help fortify that island for the re for the remainder of the war which is considered like a very like is it consequential anymore <laughs> no it's not it's it's a punishment <laughs> right. and they need to be there for the remainder of the war with Syracuse rising up, they become slightly more relevant again. But I mean, Rome wins or Rome dies, yeah. and that is a that is a statewide policy, and it is an official policy. Um, they are 
not messing around when it comes to warfare. It's 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 hard to imagine that level of belligerence. Just take the L. Like mm-hmm. live to fight another day. The the you said it last time, but the, the Klingon analogy just fits so well. They can't. They cannot bring themselves to to lose. Uh, they can't bring themselves to surrender. Um, it would it, it would cost them too much. And I, I know that... They've already paid so much, but... I, I know that things like honor are really, like, ephemeral, but they can't be discounted as a very real thing in, con- in situations oh, no, like this either. Um, because it is. It is real, and it is driving them to continue this war. Um, it's wild. You might think it's the only thing they have left at this point. <laughs> You're not wrong. With the obliteration of the, the, the massive force at Cannae, Carthage is finally able to send reinforcements via sea to mm-hmm. the Italian peninsula. So Hannibal is given even more troops to do his thing with. Mm-hmm. The command in Rome, meanwhile, begins focusing on starving Carthaginian allies rather than meeting Hannibal directly because they've just decided they can't meet Hannibal directly. Like, right. it's apparently impossible. And it kind of kills them, but they figure... With all these people supporting Hannibal, it's becoming too hard to fight him. If we can get all these people on our side, maybe we can form like an alliance of sorts against Hannibal, mm-hmm. or at the very least, take away a lot of his support. Right. So they send more troops to back up those Cannae exiles on uh, on Sicily, and besiege Syracuse, who is openly declared for um, Carthage at this point, mm-hmm. starting in 214. This is the famous siege of Syracuse. Okay. Best known actually for um, being uh, or for occurring while uh, Archimedes was uh, in residence in Mm -hmm. Syracuse. Uh, Very famous mathematician and engineer. Um, This is the two year stretch where you get Archimedes doing all the whack stuff that he gets known for that is, again, still debated to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, You get the stories of his, you know, sun focused death rays burning up Roman ships and stuff. Um, which, which we're apparently still not sure whether or not that's possible. Yep, turns out. Uh, I watched Mythbusters. I was saying, I saw, that might be the one of the only episodes of Mythbusters I've seen. <laughs> it's it's hard to say. I mean, it's a cool story. Um, at the same time, the point has been made that it's probably easier to use fire arrows than mm-hmm. burnish up a bunch of brass mirrors to the point where you can light uh, sails on fire from a great distance. Yep. Uh, anyways, you know, Archimedes is an incredibly well-known uh, philosopher, mathematician, inventor, massive strides in geometry, uh, the Archimedes screw for li- lifting water, mm-hmm. um, you know, the whole buoyancy thing, uh, yep. water displacement. Yep. Determining the density of gold V lead. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yep. Um, y'all heard of him. It's yeah. all good. Eureka. Eureka. <laughs> that's the guy. Archimedes is actually killed during the siege. Um, the story goes that the Roman commander in, tr- in charge of the siege, when the siege broke, gave explicit orders to all the soldiers that Archimedes needed to be k- taken alive. Oh. Um, his value was very well recognized. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> uh, even by Romans, who kind of hated math. <laughs> Archimedes, you nerd. <laughs> no, he's yes. Killing, no. We love your death beam, but... Just a nerd. <laughs> Just a nerd. We want you death people. We're definitely going to dunk your head in the toilet later. Yeah. You seem to like that. Don't kill him, but you can pull his toe over his head. No problem. What's the buoyancy of your head, Archimedes? <laughs> um, the, the soldier who finds Archimedes basically says, 
come with me. And Archimedes, and, and I mean, this is probably apocryphal, but it's <laughs> a good say, story. I anyway. this story. <laughs> it, this probably didn't happen, but it's, it's you know. It's fun. It's fun. Basically, Archimedes was too deep in a math problem to come, and he's like, just, just leave me alone for a second. Like, don't disturb me while I'm doing my math. And <laughs> the... The dumb Roman soldier was like, oh, this nerd, I'm getting so frustrated. I don't care about his math. And he killed him. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, so that's how Archimedes died. Well, um, it's better than Pythagoras. Against the explicit orders of the Roman command. So <laughs> I guess Rome had that going for it. I don't know. Whole thing is kind of. Meanwhile, those Roman troops that had been kind of marooned in iberia had been fighting the the carthaginian troops left there for years and years it kind of been dwindled down but had hardened into this like superior fighting (laughs) force um under a couple of commanders known as scipios from the the scipio uh, family okay i was gonna say the ones who are left there are probably super hard and like they're the best roman soldiers ever and no one remembers that they're there (laughs) almost that's that's not far from the mark Another Scipio arrives in 210 to shore up things in, in Iberia. Um, Publius Cornelius Scipio. Uh, he would later be known as Scipio Africanus. Okay. Um, that's how most people know him. Mm-hmm. He arrives to help his brothers. And um, with his reinforcements, uh, they managed to capture uh, the city of New Carthage in 209. Oh, wow. Which... It doesn't expel the Carthaginians from Iberia, but it does cut off a lot of their power in the region and a lot of their wealth. Um, Carthage is now starting to feel the squeeze a little bit. And it's this interesting dynamic because, again, Hannibal can do no wrong on the peninsula. He is sweeping up. Right. But the leadership back in Carthage is kind of divided on this whole thing because there's this faction who support the... um, the the Barkian Empire, right? Like the these people who basically say, "Listen, we need Spain. Mm-hmm. We need the wealth coming from there, and we need the power of the Barca family." Right. Hannibal being one. Yes. Um, we need to support them in this war, and if we just hold out a little bit longer, Rome will fall, and we will own the Mediterranean. Then there's this other faction who is going. My business is suffering so badly from this war. We had this good thing going in Spain, and the Barca's ruined it by going and attacking Saguntum. Why should we like lose more money on this prospect? Right. Bring Hannibal home. Cut this out now. Like, it's over. Yeah. So it's this debate between, like, can we eat these short-term losses in order for these potential long-term gains? Correct. Yeah. And they don't have that Roman fighting spirit of we will take literally, yeah. like, literally every loss is acceptable. Yeah. Or die try. Get rich or die try. <laughs> That's basically what this is. Essentially, yeah. yeah. Losing New Carthage was... A major wedge issue for those two groups by 209 and again i I should be clear that hannibal is still in italy Mm -hmm. but the romans have fallen back to a more fabian strategy of like no more pitched battles with hannibal right continue to harass but turn as little uh, of our resources to Hannibal and containing Hannibal as possible, turn the rest to whittling down his allies and whittling down his support at home. That's how we win this war. Right. By 209, Sicily is placated. Um, Syracuse has been defeated. The rest of uh, Sicily has been kind of brought under Roman control. Mm -hmm. And it is finally once again providing grain to Rome. The concern about being starved out 
is no longer an issue for Rome. And there's a bit of a second win that comes from that. Because Sicily by itself is enough to provide. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course, there is all this farmland that's been destroyed or or taken over by Han- uh, Hannibal in all of this. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter anymore. We've got Sicily. So We're not worried. Sicily. Yeah. yeah. We're not worried about food anymore. Remember Hasdrubal? I do. I remember two of them. <laughs> Hasdrubal was, was Hannibal's brother and he was commanding in, in Iberia. Yes. He was still there. Um, in 208, uh, Hasdrubal was defeated at the Battle of Pecula, um by Roman forces. And, and so they're hammering down on on iberia there's really not a lot of gas left in the tank there mm-hmm. in uh two years later in 206 they win uh the battle of Olippa, and it's the last battle really for the carthaginians in iberia they drive them out of the peninsula mm-hmm. and spain comes under roman control now rome was never really angling to take control of iberia right but here's the thing the carthaginians had already done a whole bunch of work yeah to uh, all these mines <laughs> subjugate all of these locals yeah. they had done all this work to build all these mines and well now there's just free silver here just move so, right in <laughs> uh you know it would be rude not to basically it seems silly at that point <laughs> look at all these houses <laughs> now rome has grain and money yeah okay come back kid and Hannibal's getting frustrated because he's like, I can do this. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're like, give me what I need. <laughs> and meanwhile, Rome's like, yeah, I'm just not fighting you. Like, we're not going to do that. We have our money and our food now. <laughs> yeah. And we're working on these these uh, these allies. There's a massive war going on in uh, Macedonia, um, but it's going pretty well for the Romans. They're managing to hold their own there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to defeat Macedon in this, but they'll manage to fight them to a standstill. Okay. The combined losses of territory in Sicily and wealth in Iberia, it's it's too much for the the Carthaginian leadership, and that sort of uh, pro peace faction begins winning out. Right uh, in in the government, less and less people are supportive of Hannibal, and it's kind of understandable why. Does it matter that you're able to hang out in Italy for over a decade if it's not bringing any? concrete benefit to carthage itself and in fact you're worse off than you were before the war yeah we don't have this sort of pride in combat that they do no it's it's not worth anything to them (laughs) in 203 scipio africanus is given command of all of the sicilian legions they're no longer really needed Mm -hmm. everything's been placated there uh scipio takes these legions to africa basically it's it's this really interesting sort of redemption story there where he's taking these troops were defeated at Cannae and giving them a second chance at glory. Mm-hmm. We're going to take Carthage. We're going to end this war. Mm-hmm. This terrifies the Carthaginian leadership. And they decide that the best thing that they can do is put their most experienced, most talented general in charge of the defense of Carthage. Okay. And they were called Hannibal to Carthage. <laughs> okay. Get out of Italy. We need you at home. Yeah. The sequel. Hannibal is very upset about this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he, I, I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit in the first one. There's this story that like his, his father had made them swear when they were children, he and his brother, that they would never stop fighting Rome. Mm-hmm. And he'd been doing that for a good portion of his adult life. Oh yeah. And with great effect. With, with some effect. Yeah. It, it really depends on how you categorize success well, the, the fighting though, right? was good <laughs> the, the, the success is relative and that's the crux of the argument mm-hmm. um in the question was hannibal a good general 
Oh, I see what you mean. It's a tricky question because he could win a battle, but he was not winning a war. Uh-huh. And which one is more ultimately important? matters? Well, which one is more important quality in a general? Uh-huh. Uh, would he have been able to win the war if circumstances were different, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? It's one of those rabbit trails that historians love to follow. Oh, sure. Um, but it's it's it really is a valid question. He was a very good fighter. Um, but in terms of achieving objectives, not going so hot for him. Mm-hmm. Hannibal, under protest, returns to Carthage and and uh, sets up there. Um, he's given command of the main Carthaginian force, but he actually argued against meeting Scipio's forces directly in battle. And this is the guy who defeated the Romans multiple times directly, directly in battle. battle yeah. He looked at the, these forces who he had never worked with, mm-hmm. who were mainly uh, fresh Numidian uh, mercenaries and said they're not ready those men who fought in sicily are like the best of the roman soldiers yeah. they are so very good they're the ones who survived the the crucible <laughs> exactly they, they they're the ones who made it through canae mm-hmm. they're not the men i want to be fighting right now especially not with men that i don't know well exactly there's stories of him you know going through and inspecting his troops and refusing to even speak to any of the new troops he would only speak to his veterans because he didn't see any value in speaking to these new ones it was he he had a he had a thing about this it's like that (laughs) yeah and on one hand you could look at this and go this dude's bitter on the other hand you could go maybe he knows what he's talking about he's been doing this for a long time maybe he's upset because he's being put in a position where he doesn't feel like he can win things mm-hmm. why not both great point again <laughs> it's it's one of those little arguments that people love to have over and over carthaginian leadership overrides his suggestion that they hold off on meeting scipio in battle amazing he rides out eyes rolling all the while <laughs> Meets Scipio Africanus, who's given this title, by the way, because of his military action in Africa. I had a feeling, yeah. They meet at the Battle of Zama in 202 BCE. It's 35,000 Romans versus 40,000 Carthaginians. These are those even numbers. Pretty close. And and there's a wide gulf in skill. (laughs) The Carthaginians have elephants. Okay. They love these elephants, and I can understand why. They would be incredibly effective. In, they, they would be incredibly inf- effective in battle. Um, here's the thing: Scipio Africanus has seen them before. He knows what they perform like in battle. Uh huh. Okay. And he's got a plan. The Romans will march in uh, a few columns when they're coming up to the battlefield, or even when they're marching up to form a line. Mm-hmm. And. The trouble with columns is that if you run an elephant right down the middle... Yep, that's the whole column. (laughs) Sure is. (laughs) So what Scipio does is he makes his force march in multiple columns with these big lanes in between them that are perfectly clear. Except at the very front of the... uh, At the very front of the columns, he has like a very small token... uh, few lines of men okay uh, across so if you're looking at it from the ground from the front mm-hmm. it looks like a single unbroken line it looks like a line yeah okay but if you were to look at it from above yeah it's multiple lines with these lanes these clear lanes in between with just a tiny individual strands tiny of... <laughs> strip of people at the front yeah so an elephant could break through and not necessarily do a ton of damage not quite close close very close but not quite okay 
what they do is when the Carthaginians see the line marching up, they release the elephants as, as expected. Like you do. And these, these lines of men, these, these sort of token forces at the front, uh-huh. they just move aside. They just go aside. Okay. And suddenly they're broadsiding an elephant. <laughs> they don't even bother. They just let them run through. Oh. They're gone now. What's the elephant going to do? Yeah. He doesn't actually like, that's the thing. Elephants don't really want to fight. Like you have to like, yeah, yeah. They, they had to like whip those elephants into a frenzy to even make them charge through those people. Mm-hmm. Give an elephant a clear lane and he's going to take it's the clear lane by. versus <laughs> he's going to take the clear lane versus like actually like running over a bunch of people. They don't, they're not like, oh, cool. A bunch of people. I'm going to run over that's, them. Okay. I've got that. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so he just lets them run through. He's also got his guys blowing these horns to scare the elephants. Okay. And it helps funnel them through the lanes, but they also manage to turn a number of the elephants back and they charge back into the Carthaginian lines. <laughs> because they can't be controlled. No. Yeah. What are you going to do? Stop an elephant? Like, yeah. that's not how elephants work. No. <laughs> Once they make up their mind on can't something like that, they're going to go. I see Jumanji. <laughs> it is. I mean, it was the thing that was supposed to win them the battle. Mm-hmm. It fails so badly oh, for the okay. Carthaginians. It fails so badly for them. They don't manage to take out basically any roman troops they have the roman or they have the elephants turned back on them they take yeah, massive not casualties. Only are the elephants not effective <laughs> yeah they got hit by them themselves from there the battle pretty much plays out like any other traditional classical battle would mm-hmm. um except that the carthaginians are super rattled they just had a bunch of <laughs> elephants. elephants turned back on them <laughs> The Romans clearly knew what they were doing. These are seasoned fighters versus a bunch of mercenaries who are currently wondering if the paycheck is actually worth all of this trouble. Sure, and Have an, you seen a charging elephant? And an even numbers fight with your one advantage neutralized and or used against you. Correct. <laughs> it's just a matter of time till the greater skill takes over. Zamo was a decisive Roman victory. After the battle, they set siege to the city. And uh, very quickly, leadership capitulates Mm -hmm. they surrender they agree to roman terms and that's the end of the second punic war hannibal's furious hannibal was furious (laughs) oh my god he was so mad um he washed his hands of the thing basically he was he was set up for failure and never wanted to do it to begin with (laughs) um yeah so i think that's a great place to take another break and when we come back we'll talk about the fallout of the second punic war and uh, get around to the third and final one. Secret Third War. Secret Third War. We'll oh be right goodness. back. Hey, everyone. On the last episode, I mentioned that it's been four years since HI 101 started, and I'm really excited about that milestone. If you check the episode number, though, uh, you'll see that another really big milestone is just around the corner, the 100th episode. I've been thinking a lot about how to celebrate it, and it's time to let you know what the plan is. First, even though it's only been about a year since the last time we did a Q&A episode, the listener base has definitely grown a lot since then, and I've had a few requests to do another one, so it seems like a perfect time to do it. So, um, start sending in questions now and I'll collect them together and answer them as part of episode 100. The easiest way to get them to me is by email at contact at hi101.ca. But I'll also start a thread on the Facebook page, and you can always DM me on Twitter or Patreon or whatever you like. I'm, I'm not too picky about how I hear from people. 
last time I did this, I kind of framed it as an opportunity to ask about kind of mini topics with a two minute explanation sort of thing. And we definitely had a couple of those, but a lot more people seemed interested in asking me and the guests questions about ourselves. And I'm fine with that too. We'll probably cut questions off at the end of July or so, depending on when we record, but the sooner you get them in, the better. Now, Obviously, a Q&A episode isn't going to be special enough for a 100th episode, and I thought about this for a really long time, but I feel like there's really only one topic that has been hyped up enough on this show to be worthy. It's not a long topic, which is why I'm pairing it with a Q&A, but I'm hoping you're as excited about it as my guests were when I pitched it to them. We're finally going to talk about Christopher Columbus the one historical figure that never fails to get me extremely annoyed when he pokes his business into other topics. I have an axe to grind here, and Chris and I are going to finally settle things once and for all. Since I have your attention, um, I'd like to make one other announcement. I've had a few requests for a method of donating to the show that aren't Patreon, and I completely understand. An ongoing monthly commitment isn't really for everyone, and because of that, I've set up two new ways to support the show. One is just a PayPal link, which you can find at paypal.me slash hi101, and you can give whatever amount you like. The other is a cool little service called Coffee, spelled K-O-F-I, which lets you, well, buy me a coffee by donating $3 at a time. That can be found at ko-fi.com slash hipodcast. Uh, they don't let you put numbers in the link for some reason, so that's what we had to go with. So since we've had an anniversary recently, another milestone coming up soon, and a few new support avenues added, maybe now would be a good time to consider supporting the show if you haven't already. I would really appreciate it. With all that housekeeping stuff out of the way, let's get back to the show. Back on HI101, here with Kevin Miller. Hello. And we finally wrapped up the second Punic War, which has taken up a lot of our time. Yeah, um, it's a big one. <laughs> yeah, by far the most like eventful uh war of the three wars we're about to talk about or have been talking about i should say and um really had the biggest effect on both carthage and rome like you don't go to blows for that long and suffer that many hits without being significantly changed by the whole process for everyone <laughs> yeah for everyone i mean the second punic war runs for better part of 20 years mm -hmm. that's a long time to be at war you know, yes, war is a little bit different in this era. You get the winters off, basically. It doesn't help things. That's still a lot of lives lost, a oh, lot yeah. of societal change due to uh, the amount of lives lost in the noble class, all of the things that we've been talking about. Yeah, you can't replace a lost generation over the winter. No, not at all. The direct af aftermath is pretty... It's it's basically everything that you would expect out of the deal. Uh Rome taking over uh, Iberia, as we talked about, mm -hmm. and getting access to all of those uh, silver mines. Uh, w uh, Rome having full access to Sicily as as kind of a an uncontested, essentially province of Rome. I mean, it wasn't even really considered a Roman province; it was mm -hmm. just considered part of the Roman state proper. They put a bunch of new war indemnities on Carthage. Yeah, they were pretty heavy this time. <laughs> Second verse, same as the first. I mean, more more or less. I, they they had, um, basically, they had a fairly hefty amount that they were expected to pay every single year for fifty years, and yeah, it, it was not an easy amount for them to to gather. Uh, what's more, Rome put a restriction on basically Carthaginian sovereignty, which is that 
Carthage was no longer allowed to raise an army without explicit Roman permission. Okay. And any conflicts or disputes that came up involving Carthage uh, was to be arbitrated by the Roman Senate. That's like, that's a lot of meddling in a foreign state. It sure is. Something while, that, while keeping it a foreign state. <laughs> yeah, something that, that Rome had traditionally kind of avoided. They would either take you over mm-hmm. or they would ignore you yeah. and possibly do a bit of trading. But this this whole sort of indirect control, this dabbling in empire, essentially, mm-hmm. is, is a very new thing for Rome. But they felt very much entitled to it. They figured any time Carthage was raising an army, even for seemingly unrelated reasons, Rome was under threat. Yeah, well, I can understand why after that last 20 years, after basically it nearly being wiped out, yeah. you might want to start micromanaging a little bit more. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's it's not as though uh, by virtue of winning the war on paper at the end of the war, yeah. uh, they hadn't suffered greatly. I mean, yeah, you don't suffer that hard and not learn a few lessons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And and Carthage ends up becoming sort of this... Uh, this boogeyman in in Rome, you know, that's this it's this specter that's kind of waiting out there beyond the Mediterranean that could come back at any time. Mm-hmm. And this this is a, a similar theme that you'll see throughout like really big wars uh, in history. Um, I mean, this is the Treaty of Versailles uh just two thousand years ago, right? right? Like, you know, the whole we'll punish you so hard you'll never come back to war again, you know, you're not allowed to have an army, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um and, you know, the funny thing is, anytime Carthage did have a dispute where they wanted to to take military action, um, Rome almost always said no. I can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, it ended up costing Carthage a significant amount of um, territory because the Numidians went, cool, it's up for grabs. And they started pushing back the borders of, right, of right. Carthage more and more, mm-hmm. taking back that ancestral land that they had lost so many centuries before. Mm-hmm. Over the next 50 years, Carthage is going to basically shrink from the entire northern coast of Africa to uh, a small sliver of what is current day Tunisia. Okay, They're going to lose all of that coast to raiders of various stripes. And every time anything happens, they will go to Rome and Rome will say, no. Yeah. Sorry. Meh. But they played by the rules. Yeah. There is, despite Carthage being extremely um, compliant in this uh, in this era, Rome will never really stop seeing them as a threat. And indeed, there's a fairly significant portion of the population who thinks that simply charging them indemnities wasn't enough okay that they should have annihilated carthage outright well i'm sure it would help a lot of people sleep better at night <laughs> right like yeah. the, there's this specter of 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 well of hannibal yeah uh sort of looming over everything and there's people there, there are these people who are going there's just going to be another uh, another hannibal uh there's going to be another can a uh we can't allow that to happen we should have destroyed them when we had the chance it gets so bad uh, and this faction of people get so strong that there's actually a, a Roman senator uh, called Cato the Elder. Okay. Uh, the, the name might sound familiar. He's, he's relatively famous, but you know, if, if not, it's Kinda, not that yeah. big a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cato the Elder was known for ending every single speech he ever made in the Roman Senate, related or not, with the phrase, furthermore, I believe that Carthage must be destroyed. <laughs> okay. Here's my budget. And yeah. by the way, Carthage needs to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. You know? 
I feel that we should build a monument. By the way, Carthage must be destroyed. Just tacked it onto an existing bill. <laughs> yeah, it's a rider, exactly. <laughs> Nevertheless, Carthage plays it straight for 50 straight years. They pay every single extortionist payment mm-hmm. on time. Wow. Every single year, fully amount, full amount. And they get to the end of their 50 years and they go, okay, well, we're, um, done. we're done. We did it. We're paid up. As far as the Carthaginians were concerned, that meant that the treaty itself was uh, was done. Okay. Was finished. Yeah. Which makes some sense. I can You can make that case. <laughs> I, I can see why they would think that. Uh-huh. And they were thinking about this in the context of like a lot of raids on their borders by Numidians. Uh, okay. And going, well, don't we have to don't, ask for permission anymore. <laughs> we don't have to ask you guys anymore. We paid up. We did our part. Um, we're going to build an army whether you like it or not. I see. The Romans saw it differently. <laughs> Rome disagreed. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, they said, no, you still have to keep checking with us. Yeah. If you look over at the fine print here. <laughs> and Carthage is going, why? We did all our payments. And Rome's going, no, that part doesn't end. Mm-hmm. We get that forever. Carthage does not like this. No, why would they? Forever is a long time. <laughs> this is kind of the point of the story where I sympathize less and less with rome of course (laughs) they're just being bullies at this point it's understandable where some of the anxiety might be coming from oh sure Uh, to to have this suddenly after 50 years of things generally being okay but you're getting to a point where it's you know there's going to be some people for whom the second punic war is within living memory oh of course but not not a lot no a lot more people who have no idea what went on you know stories of course but but generations have come and gone you don't you don't have that lived memory that is always so much more acute than than learned memory yeah and you know after a while it stops being so much a, a matter of oh you know this is a thing i remember from my childhood that keeps me up at, at mm-hmm. night and more of a you're just keeping the the control like you're just keeping them under your thumb at this point right gotta cut that out Mm -hmm. throughout this period rome had continued to sort of consolidate power in some of those new uh territories that they had taken over okay they uh sort of solidified control over uh iberia they had gone to war multiple times with uh macedonia Mm uh and had basically gotten them to the point where they were a client state more than anything else rome is really starting to look a lot more like a full like a a pan-mediterranean empire Empire, uh the, the sort of place that you know julius caesar is going to you know expand greatly mm-hmm. but will have already been this, quite this is big the, this is the infancy yeah they're, they're no longer this this small regional italian player mm-hmm. they are very clearly the dominant power in the mediterranean and after the second punic war that never really goes away again like mm-hmm. they've got that locked down right yeah until you know the fifth century ce where everything falls apart but we don't need to talk about that now oh 50 years of benefiting from carthage is is not nothing. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. This growth doesn't come without some costs, though, for Rome. Specifically, adding things like, for example, very rocky Macedonia to mm-hmm. your uh, to your empire doesn't add a lot of farmland, but does add a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, and I see. <laughs> Rome is looking for more places to farm. Mm-hmm. Carthage isn't the worst farmland. <laughs> nope. Give us an excuse. <laughs> 
Yeah, a little bit. But not, not possibly not even. And they they'll want an excuse. They don't want to look like the bad guys here. Okay. Uh, no, don't worry. The Carthaginians will give their own excuse for this whole thing mm-hmm. to happen. And honestly, as far as I'm concerned, out of complete necessity on their part. Oh, sure. In 151, uh, Carthage attempts to uh, repel some Numidian invaders, uh, but are defeated in the process. Rome comes in and says you weren't supposed to have a military what do you think you were doing don't hire mercenaries right unless we say so and carthage goes we're done like we told you we're done and rome went fine tell you what you guys uh raise this army mm-hmm. you inflicted casualties on the numidians i don't care that you lost since you lost you need to pay the numidians uh war indemnities for 50 years <laughs> what a bold thing and carthage went what what are you talking about like who made you boss like like no this is ridiculous and rome went do it or we go back to war we're done with this we're done with you messing around we're done with you breaking treaties Mm -hmm. do it or we go to war and carthage went okay and started paying the numidians they do not want war with rome Uh they know they can't win it not even after all these years of rebuilding. In 149, Rome started pushing them even harder, uh, started putting new requirements on them, uh, asked for uh, a bunch of Carthaginian uh, noble children as hostage. Okay. Uh, they wanted 300 nobles to... Basically, the uh, the intent behind it is to guarantee Carthage's goodwill mm-hmm. because if they have all these noble children uh, hostage in Rome and they yeah. try anything funny... Well, yeah. yep. <laughs> dot dot dot, etc. <clears throat> and Carthage went for it. They were trying really hard to get this all sorted out. They do not want war, but eventually Rome just like straight out declares war, despite all of these. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen, we're trying to push you. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Stop going along with our stuff. Um, no, they they the the straw that broke the camel's back on this one was they told Carthage that they would have to um, abandon the city of Carthage and move everybody uh, several kilometers inland to far worse land. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I can see that would be the last one. All right. Yeah. It didn't really work for them. Carthaginians said no. The Romans said it's war then. Fine. Good. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And that brings us to the Third Punic War. Carthage manages to burn the Roman fleet fairly early on, which is a help. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what that does is it traps the Roman army in North Africa with Carthage. Oh. Uh-oh. Well. <laughs> you know, it's kind of too late at that point. Yeah. It's not as though they they managed to prevent them from landing. Mm-hmm. And those Roman troops will go ahead and um, move right along with what they do best, which mm-hmm. is defeating Carthaginians. Um, there's... You know, there's a number of battles, actually, the Carthaginian forces managed to pull ties or even wins in individual battles. Mm-hmm. But by 147, uh, the pressure of having a foreign army on, you know, your own land, uh, having to rely on mercenaries, not having had a military in 50 years, and so having inexperienced commanders, all of that stuff starts really uh, adding up. Right. And the tide turns against the Carthaginians uh, fairly soon after. By 146, the siege uh, on uh, Carthage is finally successful. They managed to to 
break the Carthaginians Mm -hmm. and Carthage surrenders. Um, there's not a lot to talk about with the third Punic war. I mean, we could get into individual battles, but there's really not a lot of point. The point of the third Punic war isn't that there's some sort of like Rocky style, like we're going to go back in for one final. One more time. This is not, this is not a rehash of the second Punic war. There is no, uh, there is no Carthaginian um, mm-hmm. mastermind. <laughs> yeah, no. There's there's no Carthaginian cane. There's no Hannibal spending decades, you know, harassing the enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no, you know, glorious last stand at Zama. None of that really happens. It's a fairly uneventful siege with a number of pitched battles interspersed, and Carthage is taken. I mean, in siege terms, at least, yeah. with fairly little fuss, fairly quickly. 50,000 Carthaginians are sold into slavery. Um, that's kind of what happens in, when sage, sieges break at this point in time. Mm-hmm. That whole anti-Carthaginian faction in Rome, though, uh, has some very definite ideas about what they want to happen next. Okay, They spend 17 days straight systematically burning the entire city to the ground. Wow. There is nothing left when they're done. Carthage is over. A bad memory. <laughs> There's this story that you'll hear kind of floating around every once in a while that um, they salted the earth where Car- Carthage Barnett once stood. salted the earth, yeah. Um, that's not true as far as we can tell from any sort of remotely contemporary uh, contemporary sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like that's a story that results from like the 19th century. Historians were looking to kind of... Glamorize it. Yeah, yeah. Spice things up a little bit. Literally. Um, so Shoot. Walked into that one, didn't I? <laughs> Boom. Uh, yeah, I, I, they, they never salted the earth, but, um, Carthage was effectively over both as a city and as a civilization, I suppose you could call them. I mean, they were absolutely distinct in the, Mm -hmm. in the Mediterranean. They had a, a a distinctly, uh, Semitic culture, language, religion, all of that stuff. It was, yeah, destroyed, taken away. And the Romans basically consolidated the area into the first actual Roman province of, of Africa. Mm Mm-hmm. Various Carthaginian cities would eventually be built, uh, rebuilt, including Carthage itself over a century later, actually by, by Julius Caesar, hmm. um, or at his orders at least. Um, why? <laughs> well, because it was in a great location. That's the thing about ancient cities. They tended to be yeah, built in the best places for okay. cities. <laughs> so it wasn't like, it wasn't, they rebuilt Carthage. They rebuilt a city where Carthage was. <laughs> hmm. I, I'm, I'm never going to uh defend julius caesar against accusations of ego plays uh but i don't think that that one was one of them okay i mean the guy did a lot of stuff just to hype himself well Uh, it worked sure did i've heard of him (laughs) you're talking about (laughs) word of mouth advertised um but no the the uh rebuilding of carthage i i I don't think there was any um, specific personal glory in that one. Okay. The same year that Rome con- conquers Carthage um, is the same year that they divided up Macedonia. Like it's brought oh, okay. to an end as an independent state. Good year. Uh, it's brought to, you know, it's it's the fourth war that they've had with Macedonia in, <laughs> in, the, in the past 50 years. Um, there's it's not gotten- a terrible amount of excitement. They're all kind of the same. Uh, until this one but now it's kind of broken up into a couple of different provinces uh 
uh, rule is taken away from the Macedonian kings it is now another Roman province. And, and this is really starting to look like, yeah. you know, a truly pan Mediterranean uh, uh, empire. And they've gotten good at war. They've gotten very good at war at this point. Rome after Carthage is kind of an interesting beast because there's a bit of a sense of a loss of innocence to Rome yeah. with the Carthaginian War. They they don't get to claim anymore that they've never been defeated in battle. No, uh, They don't get to pretend like uh, they've never met a foe that they couldn't beat. They did. His name was Hannibal Barca. Uh-huh. He beat them very badly. It was through, People won't stop talking about it. it, it yeah, it was through a, a series of very lucky uh coincidences actually that that they managed to win the second punic war at all and mm-hmm. honestly a lot of other um powers at that point in time would have lost it by virtue of recognizing the point in time in which they should have surrendered right right um you know luck plus stubbornness is i guess one way to rule an empire works for a long time for rome worked for a while yeah but um you know the 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 knowledge that they could be defeated and quite badly uh sort of stuck with them it's an important lesson to learn yeah absolutely you can't go on like that not forever oh you take your bloody nose and yeah move on right yeah and and it, it gives them a bit more of a practical bent when it comes to to ruling and to warfare um but you know still in general the roman military is going to be pretty good for a pretty long time yeah but i imagine strategy in general following that is a bit more nuanced than no we defeat them at all costs or are ourselves destroyed i mean sometimes yes (laughs) sometimes uh... sometimes no no yeah there there is there is more nuance to it but i mean that that roman spirit of of uh never surrender it's going to stay there for a long time in some form absolutely but you know they they, at the beginning of this conversation they were you know we're very good at fighting on land in a big line and that's what we do and we're amazing at it and you know to their credit yes if you're spinning war Mm. they were amazing at it and they did it yeah absolutely but then they were taught several lessons about why that's not always a great thing yeah and hopefully you know took those lessons and you know maybe made a 90 10 split after that (laughs) yeah yeah for sure and um you know the the changes don't end up being just in in character uh that way there's there's significant reforms made to the uh roman military mm-hmm. uh in the wake of all of this they kind of realize that sending their most influential and wealthy uh citizens to war is maybe not the best idea it's great when you win all the time yes because that just adds to the prestige yeah and the glory of of your leaders but canet was yeah you you Uh, can't lesson (laughs) you can't have another canet never in uh in in the decades following uh the punic wars um their their military goes through a, a reform known as the the marian reforms okay in which they decouple the idea of political power um from military service to some extent Mm -hmm. Uh, this is the point in time where the roman military as a permanent uh institution um made up of professional soldiers Uh arises um 
we, we don't have to get into all the circumstances as to why or, or the practicalities of it, but essentially what happens is is the military becomes less of a place where uh, young nobles go to prove themselves on the battle line itself, mm-hmm. and it becomes more of a place where uh, citizens could find gainful employment and potentially promise of some upward mobility in society if they served long enough and well enough. Um, Fair enough. The the noble class still served as command. Yes. Uh, but you were kind of rushed straight to command. You weren't expected to uh, spend uh, a couple of years fighting as, as Hastadi on the front lines mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they realized that's very dangerous to do. <laughs> and, you know, it's not something you necessarily need to have to do anymore because now you've got all these uh, Macedonian citizens and all these uh, Carthaginian citizens that you can draw from as well. Yeah. You can have a great army by, you know, only taking like the top third of all available bodied people and not risking your own nobles. Yeah. Um, you also get, uh, some interesting changes in, um, the makeup of the nobility itself. Um, specifically the fact that they lost so many, uh, nobles, Mm -hmm. they lost a lot of, uh, noble families, like the entire line and were kind of forced to, they were kind of forced to open the noble class to new nobles to some <laughs> extent for for a long time the the nobility traced their roots back to um monarchical rome like they they traced their their lines in some cases back to like the original founders of rome mm-hmm. and a lot of those lines ended specifically yeah. at cannae but in 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 uh uh the punic wars in general right and it got to a point where it's kind of like, okay, well, we have to look at like taking people who are like wealthy, but not necessarily noble mm-hmm. and opening up noble positions to them because we, reach. <laughs> we don't have enough leaders. Yeah. Um, and this idea of the novus homo came up, the, the new man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was these, these new noble families that, uh, you know, didn't have these centuries long histories behind them. Um, but there just weren't enough of those. The best option longs. you have at the time. Yeah. And it's the only way it, it was, it was kind of a compromise between maintaining a noble class at all. Yeah. Like keeping that, that style of rule mm-hmm. and recognizing the fact that the noble class had been wiped out to such a significant extent that it was no longer uh, effective. So you can take that and you can either abolish the noble class and find another solution altogether, mm-hmm. or you can create new nobility based on, new guidelines and they they chose the latter as a more stable uh reaction to all of that oh sure this would probably be considered a, a mistake down the line but 2020 hindsight etc et oh, sure, sure. <laughs> so you get a lot of families who who are all of a sudden finding themselves in elevated social positions because there was a void to fill mm-hmm. because it was there and we're trying to have a society here <laughs> yeah pretty much I don't have a lot more to say about this, which is going to make for a little bit of a a short uh, episode. I I, I recognize we're we're kind of wrapping up a little bit early, but yeah, the uh, the entire Punic Wars as sort of a trial by fire moment in the early Roman Republic, I I just find really fascinating. There's always that genre of sort of speculative alternative history, Mm -hmm. and there's some touchstones that they keep going back to all the time. Look at oh, you yeah. Nazis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not going to say that uh, you would ever be the first one to do a what if Carthage won this oh, sure. type story. 
but I'm because you're not, there are many of them, <laughs> but it, I, I always find it interesting just in terms of the impact that Rome, uh, as a whole, uh, has on our conception of history in Western society. I mm -hmm. mean, it's this monolith that sort of overshadows everything. There's so much about European society that traces back to Rome. Yeah. And the idea of that not being made up of a people who are, you know, uh, refuse to lose and who, uh, you know, reject math and philosophy and, you know, <laughs> hate boats and all of this stuff that, like, is, is very uniquely Roman and very interestingly Roman. Um, the idea of what Europe might have looked like or the Mediterranean might have looked like under Carthage mm -hmm. uh, is, is really a fascinating idea to me because it's not like we were far off from that being a possibility no it was a very real possibility and it would change a lot <laughs> yeah definitely yeah uh despite us being uh a little bit early i think we'll i think we'll leave it there um leave it as a bit of a, a short episode is there anything else you wanted to comment on uh anything you wanted to ask that i left out uh there were a couple of spots where i definitely rushed through a little bit but no i, I think i got it it was a very interesting topic i uh it's my first war topic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I, I try to stay away from the military stuff a little bit. It's, mm -hmm. it's like I said earlier, it's not everyone's cup of tea, and that's that's fine. I think there's enough. I think there's enough military historians out there that uh, I can leave heavy lifting to some other people. Oh, on oh that. for sure, and I, I'm sure it's been done before. But uh, I'm curious to know if there's like any like mini series about this. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, there are many out there. <laughs> yeah, um, it it seems very cinematic, like the sort of thing that uh, you know I watched a ten episode sort of HBO series about. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's lots of movies and stuff out there as well. Mm -hmm. um, lots of books. It's. It's it's one of those topics that's it, yeah it, it is very cinematic as you said. It's also easy enough to relate to a few individuals despite the scale of it. Yes, that it helps keep it a little bit grounded. Like you can very much follow uh, specifically Hannibal mm -hmm. uh, through the Second Punic War and and have a very cohesive picture of what exactly is going on. Yeah, um, I, I did my best to sort of while we were discussing it actually have sort of like a, a an imaginary projected overlay of the Mediterranean region and sort of follow along like, okay, this area is shaded in red, this area is shaded in blue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These things are moving from here to here. Like I, I felt like I could follow it pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the fascination with Hannibal as a commander and the, the Punic Wars in general is a is a very very long tradition in history mm -hmm. um people have looked to it for uh inspiration um for well since it happened yeah uh, it's, it's never really it's never really stopped canna is a battle that's you know taught at west point to to this day yeah uh because of the the impact it has on military history um yeah an incredibly an incredibly compelling story it's uh it's coming of it's a coming of age for an empire it's a, a master class in military doctrine mm -hmm. uh it's a complete underdog winning story it's it's got it's got everything you could want really yeah so edge of your seat edge of your seat thank you so much for coming on today absolutely Punic Wars were the event that changed Rome from a small but successful regional power into a nearly unmatched Mediterranean power. 
the conflict had disabused the Romans of the myth of guaranteed success and inspired military reforms that stabilized this society, at least from this specific threat of losing their ruling class in battle. However, the wars also foreshadowed some of the insecurities that the Roman Empire would always live with. Their difficulty with admitting defeat, even against overwhelming odds, their difficulty leaving an enemy defeated but not obliterated or subjugated, and their need to continually expand to meet the needs of their people. The wars were as close to a singular, formative experience as most nations can claim. Next time on HIO 101, we'll be talking about the British Industrial Revolution. That episode will be up on July 1st. Since HI 101's format can result in some factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections I post for each show there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed on there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. You can also reach me on Facebook at facebook.com slash hi101podcast, on Twitter at hi101podcast, or by email at contact at hi101.ca. It doesn't just have to be about corrections. I look forward to hearing from listeners for any reason and respond when I can. And remember, HI101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, you should start looking for more information yourself. No matter how much you enjoy the show, I promise you'll find even more good stuff out there. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI101.